Okay, let's get into the Word today. The sermon series, Know Thyself, The Dangers of Certainty Today. Now, the series purpose is in the title of a book that I haven't read yet, but I hope to, Recipes for a Sacred Life. Uh, you know, uh, let, me, let me just kind of digress here for a second before I get into the message. An occupational hazard for teachers and speakers is to be misunderstood and misinterpreted and mis, misapplication. Both Jesus and Paul had this happen to him and them in spades. They were constantly misunderstood. Um, Paul gave us this revelation of grace, and then he goes, yikes, shall we, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Some of you think this is a license to sin. So being misunderstood, and I, I think this is that type of message where you've got to listen close or you may misunderstand me today. But I, I, I know you're smart, so you probably won't do that. Um, let me give you three quick checkpoints for, for navigating truth that has to do with this sermon and all other sermons. Number one is try to have a good relationship with God and know the voice of God yourself. Number two, have a, have a submission to the word of God as it's presented in the scripture. And number three, have a strong accountability to leaders and the people in your local church. With that in mind, let's launch into Know Thyself, The Dangers of Certainty. How many of you formally believed something? I mean really believed it with all your heart. Really believed it, but have since changed your mind in your life. Anything. Come on, raise it up real high. This many people have never changed their mind about anything? This is shocking. Let's try again. Maybe you weren't listening. How many of you have ever really believed something in your life? Anything. Maybe when you're five years old. Your whole life. No, well, hold it. You really believed something. You really believed it. But you have since changed your mind. Now, let me see a show of hands. Okay. Uh, that's, that's most of us. Um, how many of you can remember someone in your life that you would have treated better if you knew what you know now? Raise your hand. Okay, that's, that's good, that's good. Um, so, uh, we're going to look at two more of my faith heroes that would have raised their hands real high on that one. But because they let God deal with them and help them to get to know themselves a little better, they changed their world, literally. Well, we're, we're probably... We're probably not going to change the world the way they did, but I'll bet you all the money in the world, every one of us can change somebody's world. <laughs> if we will uh, get our knower, get a refresh on our knower. <laughs> How many of you think it's possible that you might be wrong about something you believe with all your heart right now? <laughs> I, I kind of painted you into a corner there. So today I want to talk to you about when we are convinced we have the truth, so convinced that there's no room for a speck of self-doubt, but we're wrong. And wrong in such a way that it might keep us from people who are best for us. Perhaps even wrong in a way that somebody or even a whole group of somebodies are really hurt. Let's listen to Paul's words as he stood before King Agrippa 
as he begins his trial that will eventually lead to his death in Acts chapter 26, verse 9. I don't know. If you've been around the church any time, you know that Apostle Paul is one of our... He's one of the main guys. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He had the greatest revelation of who Jesus was. And you may not always agree with him, but you can't ignore him. Acts chapter 26, verse 9, I myself was convinced, circle convinced, I was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them to foreign cities. He said, I was convinced. Let's look at another verse that relates to Paul's, what he was convinced about and felt certain about. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me, that he considered me faithful and appointed me to service. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. Yet because I had acted in ignorance and unbelief, I was shown mercy. And the grace of our Lord overflowed to me along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> See, Simon, we, we, Paul, Paul believed he was pleasing God. He believed he was pleasing God by persecuting these people who were disrupting what he imagined was the kingdom of God. I want to throw in a passage about Simon Peter so none of us will have the illusion that being a Christian and a pious one to boot means you don't have any ideas, concepts, and categories that you know that you know that you know that you know you have the truth, but you're totally wrong about. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open, and something like a large sheet let down from the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, surely not, Lord, replied, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. God had, God had to hammer him over the head three times before he would even be convinced by God himself. So what can we learn from the fact that a brilliant and fervently religious man and a piously committed preacher who, with a single sermon, convinced 3,000 previously uninitiated people to become Christ followers. What can we learn about that from these people? And that, that what can we learn that they thought about people to the point of being downright destructive and they were wrong? What can we learn from them? What can we learn from these two texts that I've read, or three texts that I've read to you? Well, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said years ago, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. His point was that only small-minded people refuse to rethink their prior beliefs. Now, like I said, this message could be misunderstood, but I won't get in right now to how it can be misunderstood. I think you can already imagine, and I'm sure some of you are taking it places that I don't intend for you to take it. But let, let's, let's get to that later. Let's talk about the attitude that God wants from his people and the attitude 
that will truly make us the very best people we could possibly be, help us to live the most sacred life and make the greatest difference in the world and be the greatest member of a great faith community like Bethany Community Church. First of all, only God is omniscient and infallible, so be humble. Let's talk today about getting off the right of pride. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. If you go to Luke chapter 18, there were two people who went to pray. The man who was certain about everything and one who was uncertain. One who prayed, Thank God I'm not a sinner. Thank God I'm convinced I know what I know I know and God, I know what God knows and God knows what I know and we're in agreement. And then the man across the room, the other man across the room who beat his chest and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And that, that day the uncertain man went home justified before God. And the man who knew it all went home a sinner. Someone said uncertainty is a sign of humility and humility is just the ability or the willingness to learn As I heard someone say recently, we all want to be convinced that what we already know is enough. To mortals like me, certainly feels like strength, intelligence, security, and progress. And it can be, by the way. I'm not preaching that uncertainty is holy. But when certainty is always our default position, and it it signals pride, and it signals smallness of soul. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know is the mantra of a soul that's going to stay small. It's, it's the mantra of a soul that is not dedicated to increase, knowing God better, and of no less importance, increasing our bonds of connection with other human beings. Pride, you know what pride does? It identifies other people's weaknesses Without the, without the dignity, other people's weaknesses and motives, I, I meant to say, it identifies other people's motives without the dignity of a conversation. You probably saw, some of you saw a meme that I, I put in social media the other day. It said, uh, many people are too judgmental. I can tell just by looking at them. Humility has eyes and ears wide open, asking questions, researching, and even delights in rethinking. Humble people get excited when they find out they can rethink a new, a, an old concept. Humble people get excited when they find out, what I've thought about that has been totally wrong my whole life. I'm so excited. It means I get to grow. It means I'm going to a place I've never been. I don't know if you realize it or not, But the world is a very vast place and there's a lot of stuff going on out there and there's a lot of knowledge in the world. So none of us are really that smart when we consider all that's to be known in the world. All of us are pretty ignorant. There's a lot more for us to learn than we've already learned. There's a lot more for us to know than we already know. Some of you coming to this church has been like that for you. It's been like, wow, I didn't even know this world existed. I didn't even know people thought like this. I didn't even, I never heard anybody use the Bible as a reference point in my life. Now, 
I'm going to digress for a minute. I may, be, I may regret it because I'll look at up there at the minute that clock and I'll go, wow, I, I've wasted too much time on that point. But I think I, think I need to make a point. I, I, I don't think we've fully realized what has happened in the world. I think it's sneaked up on us. But I, I remember a time in, 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 the, in the short time I've been on the earth, I remember a time when, when like everybody in your town kind of, everybody was the same. I remember going to a church where everybody agreed on every major doctrine of the Bible. Everybody agreed about everything. The, the pastor could get up and say the most outrageous things about all kinds of things because everybody agreed. Nobody disagreed. That is not the case in this room right now. We have such a diversity of opinion about so many really important issues right in this room. We don't have, it's because the universe has moved to us. We used to be, we used to congregate in little communities. We didn't, I'm talking about many years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago. People did not travel. People were not exposed to other cultures. People were, 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 were unicultural in the way they thought and the way they believed. You didn't have to have your thinking challenged. Well, I don't know if you know it, but that world is gone. That world is gone. We are now face-to-face, rubbing shoulders every day at work and even at church with people who do not share our point of view. So it's critical. It's critical that we figure out how to find truth. You can't just find truth relationally anymore. You can't just discover truth anymore relationally. You've got to have a much deeper and it's much more challenging. And it's, it's one of the major reasons you need to go to church and you need to get involved in a church, a good church, a church that preaches the scripture, a church that believes there is such a thing as absolute truth. You need to go and get involved because there is no other place in culture where that exists anymore. These guys that I'm talking about, Peter and Paul, their credentials were impressed, beyond impressive, but they weren't carefully researching the scriptures. They would have realized their echo chamber had obscured the very scripture they claimed as their source of wisdom. Stop blaming algorithms for echo chambers. Echo chambers have been around forever. We naturally gravitate to echo chambers. We naturally look for people who agree with us. That didn't happen. Mark Zuckerberg's not responsible for that. We've been doing that forever and we still do it. Isaiah 56. I'm going to give you one verse that both Simon Peter and Paul missed. You, 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 that's pretty astounding. That these incredible, great, important, brilliant, bright minds would, would miss what the very scripture they claimed was their authority said. It says in Isaiah 56, 1, For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from these people. What, what's Paul and Paul, Peter and Paul's deal? Was that the Gentiles were excluded. That foreigners were excluded from the Jewish faith. And there it is, prophet Isaiah, brother Isaiah had told them, don't say that no foreigner is excluded. The Lord will surely, uh, don't say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and all who fell fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their barn offerings and sacrifice will be, will be accepted on my altar. 
For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Wow. But Paul was convinced he had to kill those people. (laughs) Be careful about what you're convinced of. Truth is all the facts accompanied by divine revelation. Also, great damage is done by teaching discernment as a gift of the Spirit. Discernment, I'm going to tell you, those of you who've been around the church for a while, many of you believe discernment is a gift of the Spirit. The d- discernment is not a gift of the Spirit. The Bible doesn't say it. I'll eat the scripture that says discernment is a gift of the Spirit. Get, bring it up here. I'll eat it right now. Discernment is not a gift of the Spirit. The word anacrino, the word anacrino, which where we get our word discernment, means to reason, to search, to research, to ask questions. And and Hebrews 5.14 says discernment comes from having our senses exercised to discern between good and evil. Discernment is not a gift of the Spirit or a magical knowing, rather it is a result of disciplined research and disciplined searching for what is truth. Humility creates capacity. I love that quote. Don't know where I got it, but I love it. Let's, let's move on as our time is slipping away from us today. Satan wants to use our gifts and good motives to limit us and hurt people. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm going to talk about, in the next couple of minutes, about Paul's gift and his position and his greatness before Christ. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Then Paul was arrested in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21. And and, and listen as Paul stands before his accusers. Acts chapter 21 verse 37. There's been a riot And he's been arrested and all the mob is standing there. He says, as Paul, I was to be taken inside. He said to the commander, may I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised. This man could speak Aramaic fluently. He could speak Greek fluently. How many of you speak Greek fluently? I know the old joke. I know a little Greek. He runs the pizza shop down the street. (laughs) Do you know Greek? The commander asked. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? No, Paul replied, I'm a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus and Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. Listen as Paul addresses the crowd. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. Now he's switching to Aramaic. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, the city of Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel as his student. I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some of them to death arresting both women, men and women, throwing them in prison. He thought he was obeying God. According to 
N.T. Wright, Paul was patterning himself after a very famous Jewish zealot. Probably most of you haven't heard about it. If you've read the Bible a lot, maybe you have. A very famous Jewish zealot who was like an activist, like, a, like, like somebody who was really making difference in the world. His name was Phinehas. And Phinehas followed two, a, a, a Jewish man, a Midianite woman, into a tent where they were going to have an illicit relationship. And he ran a spear through them and killed them. And he, he caused a plague that God had sent on Israel to stop. Now, I know that's really hard to understand, and I don't expect you to get your brain around it. And I know violence in the Old Testament is very hard for us to deal with, a lot of us. I understand that, and myself included. But let's put that aside right now. Look at what Psalms 106.30 says about Phinehas. But Phinehas had the courage to intervene and the plague was stopped. So he has been regarded as a righteous man ever since that time. That's who Paul was identifying with. Paul was identifying with Phinehas. He was identifying with someone who was going to save his nation. He was going to save his nation from being corrupted by these Gentiles. Paul's ignorance was grounded in, not grounded in a lack of intelligence. Paul's ignorance was not grounded in intellectual laziness. Paul's ignorance wasn't grounded in evil motives. Paul's ignorance wasn't grounded, it, it was grounded in a zeal to do the right thing. Paul's ignorance was grounded in a noble cause. You know, Moses had a staff for doing his work. Our staff that we have is our spiritual gifts and our personality gifts with which we make our way through life, even God's work. The first thing that God had Moses do when he encountered him at the burning bush was throw the staff down. What happened to the staff? He threw the staff down and became a snake. He became a serpent. What's God trying to say to us in that little story? He's trying to say this, that when our, that when our very gifts and our very personality, there's something that will bite us. And bite other people. If we don't get it sanctified under the blood of Jesus. Under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And under in connection with the community of faith. That we have joined ourselves to. We are, we are not. We're all nuclear power man. We're incredible. We can. We can. We can. We can. We can. We can bring life and love. And joy to every person in this room. With, with our gifts. Or we could slaughter everybody in this room. It all depends on what voice you listen to. It all depends on whether you have let Christ become the truly the Lord of every aspect of your life. Finally, I want to say this to you today. Knowing and growing is supposed to make us nervous. But it's the only way forward. Simon, Peter, Simon Peter's vision made him want to throw up. Literally. Paul's encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, if you can read about it in Acts chapter 9 and 10, it was a blow that knocked him to the ground and disoriented him with blindness. Growing is, how many of you know growing is not usually fun? It's, maybe it's fun when you're a little kid, but when you get to be our age, especially when you get to be 66, and God still wants you to grow and change and flex, and oh, God, what are you thinking? I thought I thought I could I thought I could just you know have the hardening of the categories at 66. But God says, no, I'm not done with you. As long as you're on the earth, I want you to grow and I want you to change and I want you to become more like me. It's not because truth is progressive. Truth is not evolving and progressive at all. It's just undiscovered. 
truth is just deep. And truth has been around since the beginning of time. The truth of God, the truth of God started in Genesis 1 and all the truth of the world was established right there. Our, the tr- truth is an archaeologi- archaeological uh, endeavor. <laughs> you are digging into the past to discover what is true. And I know that's not popular today, but you, you remember Ruth Ann, the, 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 uh, Ruth Ann, the character that Lily Tomlin used to play, the little girl in the chair, she would say, and some young people, you, you miss on this great humor. This is good stuff. But Ruth Ann would say these crazy things. She would, she, was, she would be in a giant rocking chair, so she looked small, like a little girl. And she would say, and that's the truth. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> well, and that's the truth. <laughs> Knowing, you know, Popeye also had it right. You know, he, no, he didn't have it right. He had it wrong. And when he said, I am what I am, and that's all what I am. <laughs> that's what some of us do. And we stop growing, and we stop changing. We stop becoming, uh, uh, you know, the Bible says God causes all things to work together good for them to love God and all the called according to his purpose for whom he didn't conform to his image. Our life is a constant trajectory to become more and more like Jesus to become more and more like Christ. That's what it's supposed to be. Knowing and growing is not... A, let me tell you what it is not, though. Knowing and growing is not about letting people depreciate your gifts or change the way God has shaped you. Paul did not stop being an alpha male, a leader who wouldn't suffer fools. God changed his direction, not his personality. God made him more gracious, but God didn't turn him into a weenie. Somebody say amen. Knowing and growing is not about letting people depreciate your gifts or change the way God has shaped you. You cannot change the way a person is shaped. You cannot change a person's personality. God has given them the personality he has given them. Get over it. I got an amen before, but not after I said that. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Knowing and growing is not about compromising and twisting the truth. I already made that point a minute ago. It's about returning to truth. The truth that you overlooked. There's a move, a move afoot that even God is always evolving. I don't know if you've heard this theologically. I could tell you some Bible teachers or, or spiritual leaders' names who are telling you that God is always evolving and growing and changing. He's, no, he said, I'm the Lord God, I change not. And so he said, I'm the Lord God, I change not. He's saying, Phil, you're going to do the changing because I ain't changing. And you know what? I like it like that because I'm pretty flanky. I like it like that. I have a God who doesn't need to change. That's security, man. That's security to have a God that doesn't need to change. And that is a burden off of my shoulders that I'm the one that changes. I don't have to be God. I can make mistakes. I can blow it. I can be needing in need of forgiveness. It's okay. It's okay. I can look back at my old sermon notes and go, good grief, what was I thinking? <laughs> That's not true. God told Abraham, 
Simon Peter was returning to the God who told Abraham, you shall be, through you, all nations shall be blessed. (laughs) Paul was returning to the God of Abraham that said, through you, Abraham, through you Jews, all nations shall be blessed. Through you Jews, there will be a room full of Gentiles in 2021 sitting in a room at 15 Cape Road enjoying Jesus and loving the gospel because of Jews, because of the Jewish nation, because of Apostle Paul. God bless him. And boy, if he'd have had his way, he'd have kept us out. You know, if Paul and Peter would have had their way, you wouldn't be sitting here today. You would be, I don't know, you'd probably be a slave to, to the Jewish nation or something. Finally, knowing and growing is about returning to the grand vision that God had for you when you were born and shaking the shackles that are robbing you of your intended destiny. You have an intended destiny. Think about it. Simon Peter's intended destiny would have been lost. He would have been just another Jewish zealot. Apostle Paul would have just been another Jewish zealot who flamed out. But instead, as many, many intellectuals are now beginning to say, Apostle Paul was the one who was responsible for what is good about Western civilization. Because he was the first to assert the rights of the individual and the rights and and, and, and power of the weak and the victims. And the first to say, in Christ there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. All are one in Christ. All have equal importance, equal authority. Apostle Paul, as far as I can tell, was the first one to ever say that. He would have just become another Jewish zealot who burned out if he hadn't had an encounter with Christ that said, Paul, everything you're convinced about is wrong. <laughs> Dare to get off the ride of pride and say, God, I'm all in with your plan for my life and the life you have for me. James Yeary, Rebecca Bowman, and Sonia Isaacs wrote a song entitled, If That's What It Takes. It goes like this. The place that I'm in feels so unfair. The weight on my chest seems more than I can bear. I can't see where this is going but I'll stay on my knees till then if that's what it takes to break my will. To make me still enough to hear your voice, then I'll trust you. Oh Lord, if that's what it takes to realize without you, I'm going the wrong way. Living life in vain, Lord, humble me a little more each day if that's what it takes. That's what I want your prayer to be today. You know, preachers often talk about the God factor regarding enlarging our definition of what's possible. You know what I mean? They'll go, we need to raise $2 million. We can't do it, but God. You know, you've heard that. You've heard that way of preaching. And 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 I think that's great. That's very important. Well, Peter and Paul were ignorant of the Jesus factor in regard to who and how much people were loved by God and pursued to bring them into relationship with Christ. I realize there's an ideology of inclusiveness that is actually taking people away from truth and authority of Christ. But we can spend all, you know, you can spend all our time worrying about the misuse of a principle and even develop a pride over the fact that we're not like that. We can become Pharisees over our avoidance of that abuse. But on judgment day, on judgment day, it won't be about what I avoided. It'll be about who I served. I said on judgment day, 
It will not be about what I avoided. I'm not saying you don't need to avoid some things, because you do. But it won't be about what you avoided. It'll be about who did you serve and whose life did you change because you were willing to let God change you. Let's stand. It just seems appropriate to close this message with this scripture from Ephesians, and it's Paul, and he says, um, and forgive me, it's the Amplified, because I just love how it's worded. For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, of insight into mysteries and secrets, and the deep and intimate knowledge of him, by having the eyes of your heart And this is from a man who God struck him literally blind when Jesus came to him. And this is his prayer for others. By having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you. How rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints, his set apart ones, so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable, unlimited, surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe, as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength.